Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. Welcome to the first season of my new show, where I'll be sharing the supernatural experiences that shape our world. If after the show you feel compelled to share a story or need paranormal advice, send an email to storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. This is an independently run podcast. If you like what you hear and would like to support the show, consider becoming a patron. Visit patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the different tiers and perks, such as a tarot reading from me. I've read countless stories and spoken with a lot of people about the supernatural experiences they've had. And just when I think I've heard it all, I am always pleasantly thrilled when a story comes along that surprises me. It reminds me that I am still capable of getting the chills. That's what today's episode is about. People who have witnessed something that is difficult to categorize. Unexplainable things that you may or may not have heard of that are possibly not of our world. First, I welcome back Derek Hayes, host and creator of the Monsters Among Us podcast, as he describes a cryptid he witnessed as a child that set him on his paranormal journey. Then, I chat with Susan Slaughter, paranormal investigator, as she describes her nocturnal visit from a hag. And finally, I speak with Mark Allen Miller, former vice president of Seraphim, Clive Barker's production company. I've been collecting ghost stories for years, and Mark's is truly one of my favorites. You definitely don't want to miss it. Chapter 1. Alien Big Cat When Derek was around 10 years old, he, his 8-year-old brother, and a friend were exploring his dad's property in southeast Ohio. So this was our very first time, actually. So we packed the lunch and everything, and we went to this flat rock that we found. We had our lunch laid out. We were hanging out, real proud of ourselves. And and suddenly, on the hillside across from us, we hear uh, some twigs snap, some brush popping. So we kind of just look up, thinking, you know, there's an animal. Like, we don't know what's down there. We're kids. We're dumb. And next thing we know, there's this black cat. And when I say black cat, this is a panther. This is a, a big cat. This thing could eat us. And it's, it's bolting. It's running from the right to our left, headed towards this clearing. Well, in our bright minds, we think, well, we can just run over there and, and cut it off in the clearing and get a really good view of this thing. But by the time we get there, which is 20 feet or so, it's already gone. This thing has made tracks and it's disappeared. So we all kind of talk about it, and we compare our notes. We saw this, we saw that, we saw this, and everybody seemed to agree on, on what we saw. 
And then we go home that night, and I couldn't wait to tell my dad what we saw. Growing up, animals were always a big thing for me. So, so I told him, I said, you know, we saw this huge black cat. And without missing a beat, he looked me dead in the eye, and he says, I saw that thing last week. And even at 10 years old, the thought in my head was, why are you allowing us to run around down in the woods knowing that this thing's out here? And, you know, that was the day that, that cryptids were pretty much introduced to me. I'd heard of Bigfoot, but I really wasn't that interested at the time. And uh, it was also the day that I began questioning my dad's parenting skills. So what's so special about this big black cat? It was probably just a mountain lion or some other wild cat native to the area, right? Well, at the time, we all thought it was a big cat. And we didn't really understand why a big cat would be there. You know, that's not something that lives in Ohio or at least not something that lives in Ohio now. To me, I know what it is, or at least I believe I know what it is. Uh, there's a cryptid known as the alien big cat, or as I like to call them, the alien black cats. Now, essentially, these are large uh, felines, for lack of a better term, uh, usually typically black, not always, uh, sometimes a dark brown, but they're found in places like New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, the, uh, the Virginias, Kentucky. There's a lot of uh, recent killings in Kentucky that people are actually pinning on this creature. Uh, but essentially, it's just a, a large black panther, and there's just no reason for these things to be living uh, anywhere near these states. As it turns out, mountain lions, they did live in Ohio up until the late 1700s, I believe. Uh, they were hunted out, obviously. Uh, and so they could obviously go back that way. They could, you know, people find them in, uh, where was Chicago one was shot not that long ago. Uh, they actually shot a mountain lion in the city limits of Chicago that wandered in from somewhere western. Uh, but the point is that mountain lions actually cannot be, or at least scientists believe they cannot be melanistic or all black, uh, which is you know the opposite of albinism. So even if what we saw was a mountain lion, there's no way, uh, at least according to science, that it could be uh, the black creature that we saw. So that makes me think jaguar or leopard or something we've maybe not even discovered or who knows? Who knows what it was? Sightings of the alien big cat, also referred to as phantom panthers, have been reported all over the world. And while simply seeing one doesn't cause any damage, like in the case of Derek and his brother, there have been cases where these beings have proven themselves deadly. There's, of course, the vampire beast, let me see if I can say this correctly, the vampire beast of Bladenboro, which is a town in North Carolina, and I, I'm going to get the date wrong on this. I want to say it was like 1973 or something. But there was like a couple weeks where this feline creature was killing dogs and livestock all over uh, the countryside of well, the Bladenboro area. There's that, and there's uh, a couple cases, like I said a few minutes ago, in Kentucky uh, of some livestock, some miniature ponies and that kind of thing that have been killed over the past year that people are kind of pinning on these things. But outside of that, I don't know a lot of uh, violent stories from them. The same can't be said for the UK. They have very similar legends over there. Uh, and theirs seem to be a lot more violent. They're, they're taking down sheep and stuff like that on the regular. You see it on the news there. So uh, if they have the, the same creature, then theirs is much more ornery than ours, I suppose. Cryptids, or creatures that have not been scientifically proven to exist, are a fascinating topic. I'm sure you've heard of Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, Mothman. They're the kinds of stories that, no matter how many people report sightings, or how many people capture video or photos, no amount of evidence will be enough to prove that they exist. But a lot of animals that we accept today 
were once thought to be hoaxes as well, like the platypus or even the gorilla. So who's to say that we won't one day start referring to the alien big cat as a legitimate species? Scientists are discovering new species every single year. 65% of this earth is still unexplored. So to say that we've seen it all and know everything is just wrong. And personally, I want to know what else we're wrong about. If you're hungry for more cryptid encounters, make sure you check out Derek's podcast, Monsters Among Us, where you can call in your own unexplainable experiences. Chapter 2. The Hag. My name is Susan Slaughter. I'm a paranormal investigator. You may have seen Susan on Ghost Hunters International, Ghost Hunters Academy, or Paranormal Caught on Camera, along with me and Derek. When I first met Susan, I was so excited to ask her about all the investigations she'd been on and the outrageous things she experienced. And at the time, I remember being surprised that her scariest encounter actually didn't happen on an investigation, but in her bedroom. There were no cameras, no recording devices, just Susan and a horrifying visitor. I'd recently started like a year and a half ago, uh, practicing transcendental meditation. I've been trying to play with the whole idea of can I get advanced enough in meditation to eventually astral project. The things that I was seeing in my room, like these shadow blobs and stuff like that, and shadow people, like they could possibly be astral projections from others. That's a theory I have. But I'm trying to get into meditating and to learn how to like actually project or maybe at least like brought in um, my energy awareness, things like that. And as soon as I started getting really good at it, I remember meditating and then I actually fell asleep right after a meditation. And something I don't do anymore because of this experience that I had. I laid down in bed just for my non-mantra, just sit there and be moments that you're supposed to have when you're coming out of a meditation. And I dozed off to sleep in that moment, like in that time frame. And I woke up uh, to this feeling of pure terror. I don't understand. It was just like deep in my chest. And um, I, I just sit upright in bed it's like I knew exactly where I needed to look in my room, where it was standing, even though when I woke up, my back was facing this thing. Like, I wouldn't have known it was in the room. I just felt it, it like just waking up in sheer terror and knowing exactly where this thing was in your room. It's like my body instantly felt it as it appeared. And I sit up and I stare right into the corner of the, of the room by my closet. Right by that area, I actually have an altar with mirrors that I use for my magics. And um, so I feel like that's exactly why it showed up, like literally right in front of that altar space. And um, it was something that I never looked into until after I had this experience. But it was this what people consider this hag. And she was super tall, like she was crouched to fit between the ground and the ceiling in my room, like crouched over Um, And her hair was long and white and her hair was floating upwards, almost like if somebody was diving into a pool. You know what I mean? Like how your hair would go up. 
And she had the most incredibly long hands and fingers and her face, super elongated features, very long nose, very long chin. I want to say look like a traditional witch, you know, the one you would see on like Halloween posters and stuff. But it was more like a Hanya mask. A Hanya mask is a popular Japanese symbol. They were used in traditional Japanese theater and depicted a woman who was so overcome with jealousy and anger that she turns into a demon. And I just stared at her and I froze. Like, I couldn't move. Like, I, it forced me the time to really look at her. The, the thing I wanted to point out was that she instilled this fear reaction in me. Like, I had no control over it. Like, if I, I've come across as, like, this on investigations, like, um, when I see an anomaly forming or happening, I don't get that sense of fear. You know, I've been able to observe and document phenomena and be more fascinated and just, like, excited by it. When I came across this, it was something that she was able to manipulate within me. Like, I had no control over so I think I might have forgotten that maybe I'm that type of individual when I was younger, when I was more sensitive, when as a child or an adolescent, I used to see things a lot more. And now that as a paranormal investigator, I'm always kind of forced to be the critical eye, to be like the science minded one, even though I have my own spiritual beliefs, I still have to be very analytical. I guess the point I was making is that as I started meditating, and changing my mind back, reverting back to being a more sensitive person and being more uh, aware person, your energy output when you start doing things like that can attract a lot of psychic attacks of energies that would feed off of that light or vibration. And they can feel you because that's kind of within their realm of possibility in whatever dimension they live in, you know? So maybe when I was meditating, um, I, I put this big beacon output and it attracted this type of entity. Once I really started honing in on her and like observing her when she felt observed is when she started to dissipate. That was kind of, I noticed the more that I was like, oh, I see you now. I see you now. I had this mentality, like I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you because that fear eventually turned into like, what the hell am I looking at? And then my analytical mind comes in. Notice everything. Notice everything. Notice every little aspect about this being. Like, when are you going to see this again? Like, when has this ever happened to you before? The whole reason why that happened, I don't think it was a message she was trying to convey. It was something I had to learn. When you start raising your vibration and you start working on a metaphysical level, like in a spiritual level with energy within yourself, it will attract great things. It could attract wonderful higher vibrational things to your world and like you can manifest whatever your heart desires through that. Or it could also attract like psychic parasites and things like that that want to feed off of that. In order for her to feed off me of that energy, she had to get me at a vulnerable state and she had to instill, I keep saying she because she came off as feminine, but it was literally like there was a vibe off of her of like the worst aspect of feminine energy. I don't know if that would make any sense. Like the most off-putting, the anti-goddess type vibe. That's the best way I could put it. 
it threw me down a rabbit hole after I saw this. I, I knew distinctly like like what her face reminded me of and I started looking up Japanese or uh, Chinese or any like type of like East Asian demon entity or dark force and the only thing that came up was like the hag like I've investigated hag cases before in other countries like Trinidad you know and even like places in Ireland so like this type of energy is perceived worldwide in their own cultures you know but this was something like I said I've known before prior seeing the hag like is this just some embodiment of her like maybe she's leading me down a rabbit hole on purpose she's wearing a mask is that really her face you know this is an experience that would not have been possible to capture on film and probably isn't flashy enough for a TV show. But these are the types of stories I find myself becoming more drawn to lately. I've been obsessed with the paranormal my entire life, but it's only in the last couple of years that it's been my career. And I am constantly being reminded of just how little I know and how much more there is to discover about our universe. The paranormal is not always as dramatic as it is on TV and the internet. I think the biggest problem with the way that people perceive the paranormal, especially when it comes to like entertainment on television and all of that, is that people um, see these massive types of haunts, you know, like crazy poltergeist phenomena, like doors swinging open and like full bodied apparitions. And, and as technology progresses I find that it's getting easier and easier to fake things that you see especially on YouTube you you look up like real haunting super scary like all this stuff that's on YouTube and it's totally fake and then I literally sift through this and it was so disheartening to just see like the piles and piles and piles of fake things out there like misinforming the public on what phenomena truly is i don't want to knock the paranormal series that we have on television today and you know we i'm on one you're on one you know there are other people out there that had experiences like me that have abilities and are sensitive to this type of stuff you watch a show like this and you see this apparition that relates to something that maybe you have encountered that's going to inspire that individual to become a more spiritual person to become a more aware person and to maybe hopefully you know do their own research and then you have other people that go into energy sciences other people that go into investigating the paranormal um, people that go into theology and things like that that try to educate other people. Although it takes doors in a kitchen slamming and opening shut and like utensils flying everywhere and like, I don't know, Slender Man or whatever that's out there. If that inspires you to like think deeper than what people are telling you to think, then I think that that's a good thing. If you want to see Susan's sketch of the hag, visit this episode's page on storieswithsapphire.com. I remember drawing her right away because I never wanted to forget her. Like, is that's another thing. It's like, I'll never forget her. Like, she has stained my consciousness a little bit. 
Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 3. The Man with Features Crawling on His Face I am Mark Allen Miller, and uh, I'm from Whittier, California. Mark used to work for famed horror writer and artist Clive Barker. So this is maybe 10, 11 years ago then, uh, and I was new to the company. I had just started working for Clive. Clive operated out of his sprawling mansion in Los Angeles, a home that was inspiration to numerous books and paintings. He lives in this enormous three-story, three-wing mansion in Beverly Hills that was one of the first houses built on the hill. All these insane things happened there when it was first built. He wrote a book about it called Cold Heart Canyon, uh, and it was the book was based on his experiences living in this house, which he felt was very charged with all manner of inexplicable activity. Mark was alone in the mansion while Clive was in Europe on a book tour. He was in the writing room, an enormous den with a large table. The size of a, of a yacht. Clive wanted this table to be sanded and refurbished to remove years of wear and tear. So I oversaw, you know, the... the the painters coming in, I made sure everything was okay, that the dogs were put away at night, all this stuff. And I just, I, I was, you know, alone in this gigantic, quote-unquote, haunted house, uh, you know, for three weeks. I'm sitting at my desk one afternoon and answering emails, answering phone calls and the like. When the painter tells me he's done, he wants me to take a look at the table to make sure everything is to the specifications I go next door, I see the table, and there, and everything's been, the entire room is covered with plastic tarps because he's been sandblasting this table and there's sawdust everywhere. The entire room is covered in sawdust. Uh, the floor, the lamps, the dressers, I mean literally wall-to-wall -wall sawdust because of this gigantic table. 
and I'm crossing the I'm crossing the room, you know, and it's you know almost a football field long. <laughs> I'm crossing this room. It's this Game of Thrones style table, you know, and and I and behind me I can see I'm leaving, you know, footprints in the sawdust and stuff like that. I go to look at the table, and it is it looks fantastic, and it's midday, so you know there are no lamps on, but uh, the the it's an old house, so the wiring's a little funky, which is you know always the go-to excuse. And he has in his room, uh, throughout because it's such a large room, various stations of touch lamps, so that at any moment, no matter where you are, you can just reach out, touch a lamp, and turn a light on. And in my periphery, one of the touch lamps goes on. And I, you know, I think, okay, well, that, well that's funny. Uh, faulty wiring, maybe because I walked in, I jostled a cord. I look over. As I mentioned before, the entire room completely covered in sawdust except for two fingerprint depressions in the touch lamp base. And this is the other, you know, this is the opposite end of the room. This isn't, there was no, there were no footprints. Like, you couldn't, it's not possible that there would be two fingerprint depressions in this, in the base of this lamp without a trail leading away from that lamp. Who do you think it was? That is the perfect question for story number four. There was a, a friend of mine who came to work for the company, who lived in the UK, and uh, his first night, uh, he moved from the UK to come uh, work with me at the company, and his first night here, he spent the night at the office, and there, someone someone lived on the grounds that is a, is a very tall, slender, bald man. No, not that slender man. So it's this very easily identifiable figure. You know, if you, if you see him walking around, you can't miss him. And my friend is in the room. Uh, he, th- there is no bedroom here, so he's sleeping in on a couch in this room where... And Clive has a lot of paintings, and so he had just finished a, a gallery exhibition. And a bunch of his paintings had been packed into boxes, shipped back... And we had just received them. We hadn't had time to take them out of the boxes yet. They're all sealed up. And they're piled high in this room in shipping crates. And my friend chooses this room to bed down for the night. He sleeps on the couch. I say, good night. I go home. He texts me in the middle of the night uh, saying that he just heard someone come over. And he thought it was the gentleman I was describing, the tall, slender, bald man. He, he hears the door open. There's a, there's a click. It's a very audible... A, a, a lot of things happen when someone enters this office. It's a very identifiable process. There's this loud click. There's a bing-bong, which is the alarm system. And you hear the door slam shut. It's, a, it's this gigantic one-ton oak door. And he hears all the signs that someone has entered the office and has walked down the hall and is now standing at the frame of the doorway... Uh, to the room that my friend is now sleeping. Uh, he opens his eyes, he looks up at the doorway, and it's nighttime, so he sees illuminated by moonlight the figure of the bald, slender, uh, tall man standing there. And he, so figuring he knows who it is, he says, uh, what's going on? Can I help you? Uh, what do you need? Silence. So my friend hits the light switch nearby him, and illuminates the face of a, I guess I use the term face loosely, because 
It is a blank slate with features crawling around his face. So the eyes and mouth and nose are walking around this blank slate of a face. And when he stands up to scream, to shout, whatever it is, you know, he was going to do in the moment, the figure is gone. And that's the point where he starts texting me and, and you know, obviously losing his mind. He's freaking out. He's not, not having a good time. And as he's describing the thing to me, my jaw drops. And I text him back. I say, do me a favor. Go into the sealed boxes and take out the paintings. Because lo and behold, what he described to the letter was one of the sealed paintings in that room. Mark pulls out a photo of the painting for me. That's the painting. <laughs> I cannot imagine what it must have felt like to see that in real life. What do you even do after seeing a monstrosity like that? Then uh, he he just he said he just worked. Uh, I got to work the next morning, and he just never went back to bed. He went to a different room, and he just worked on his computer the rest of the night until we came in the next morning. Whatever this thing was. Clive had seen it in his home before. He's the first person to say that when he was painting all of his paintings, uh, he was he had the feeling that something had sort of grabbed him by the back of the neck and was making him paint these things. The something about the house was charged is all is the best way I can explain it. There was an energy there unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. I love stories that upend everything I think I know about reality. I have never heard of a creature like this in my life, but I am now 100% convinced that it is real and I never want to see it. And if a creature like this exists, what the hell else is out there? If you want to see this painting, visit the page for this episode on storieswithsapphire.com. Also, make sure to check out Mark's company, Encyclopocalypse. If anyone likes audiobooks, I'm assuming you do if you're listening to this podcast, Encyclopocalypse.com. Impossible to say, even harder to spell. But uh, we got all kinds of awesome, you know, vintage horror novels and, uh, and nonfiction tomes about the history of horror franchises and all kinds of fun stuff that I think, if, if people are listening to this show, I think they'll dig it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to help boost the show's visibility. And head to patreon.com slash stories with Sapphire to see the perks you'll receive by supporting the show. What are your thoughts on the different entities in this episode? Let me know at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sindalo. Special thanks to all of my guests, Derek Hayes, Susan Slaughter, and Mark Allen Miller. Music written by Sapphire Sindalo. For more information on this episode and my guests, visit storieswithsapphire.com. 